Our scripture lesson today comes from the gospel according to John. It does tie into the Matthew 5, 6, and 7 we've been working on over the last six weeks. Um, So let's share in God's great word together. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Now, that's an important question. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe this? Jesus is asking you. You are never going to cease to exist. And there is nothing you can do about it. Let me say that again. You are never going to cease to exist. And there is nothing you can do about it. That's how Dallas Willard puts it. He says, you are never going to cease to exist, and there is nothing you can do about it. I remember the first time I heard him say these words to our class in 2009. Uh, We were at a a monastery in the Sierra Madre Mountains for two weeks, and and it changed my life. When When I came to realize that who I really am, my character, my soul, is going to live forever, then I've got some work to do. Because as my mama used to say, John Mark, you're not fit to live with today. (laughs) And I wonder sometimes if the soul that I have today is fit to live with forever. Who I really am. When we die, we can no longer hide. And do, am I ready for you to see who I really am? Who I really am when no one is watching? Jesus tells us how to do that. Do you believe what Jesus said? Jesus said, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. That's you, I hope. Can be. He says, do you believe this? He asked the question. Do you believe this? And if you do, what actually lives on? Because we know it's not our bodies. Our bodies don't live on forever. It's your character, friends. It's your character. Paul writes really clearly about this to the early church in Corinth because they didn't understand it because it was brand new. What lives on is who we really are, our character. So Paul writes to the church in Corinth, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. Yes, our bodies die. What is sown is perishable, right? It's going to die. But what is raised is everlasting. It's imperishable, Paul writes. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory, these bodies that we have. It's sown in weakness. It is raised in power. My knee will no longer hurt. Right? It is sown a physical body, which we have. It is raised, what? A spiritual body. Well, what is that? It's your will. It's your picker. It's who you really are. That spiritual body, that homoousios is how the Greeks would say it. The early church would say it. That stuff. That is you. And if you've had children, you know that you recognize your child at birth, at 5, at 15, at 25. My parents recognize me at 51. Because who I am, who my essence is, my spirit, my spiritual body never dies. Does that make sense? Some of you all have been to a high school reunion. And you're like, I don't know who that dude is. And then he speaks. And you're like, Bobby! Because his essence comes out. You know what I'm saying? His body changes, but his spirit 
That's what we will recognize in heaven. So Paul says, if there is a physical body, and certainly there is, then there is a spiritual body, and you have one of those too. And it lasts forever. And there's nothing you can do about it. I'm going to think about that seriously today. So really, suppose you are never going to stop existing, and there's nothing you can do about it except possibly make your future existence as desirous as possible for yourself and those around us. Right Now, that would take real courage, wouldn't it? To have that inward battle of who we really are. It would take a teacher who knew both about this world and the next, wouldn't it? And there's only one person that can do that. It would take the smartest man who ever lived to give us the most important teaching of how to become like him. To how to have a foot in both worlds. His name is Jesus. And that's why we've taken six weeks to talk about this most important teaching that the world has ever received in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 because it teaches us how to become like our master Jesus. That's the goal of our life is to become, look, sound, act like him so that we will be fit for heaven because we're never going to cease to exist and there's nothing we can do about it. You see, Jesus is talking character formation, becoming like Jesus, From the inside out. Notice that it's not the outside in. Church gets this wrong all the time. We think if you do this or you do that or you do that, then you're a Christian. No, 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 no. What does God look at? He looks at your heart. It's always been this way. You remember the old story, perhaps, uh, of King David? Um, Samuel, the prophet, comes to to pick the next leader after Saul. And he looks. It's kind of like Cinderella, only with boys. Right? He goes down the line, not this one, not this one, not this one, not this one. Where's the young one? Oh, he's a punk. He's out, uh, you know, catching the sheep. Well, where is he? Bring him. And Samuel says, ah, this is the one. They're like, what, him? He's little. Like, no, he's not ready. He's the youngest. He's the runt of the litter, you might say. The slipper cannot certainly fit him. And Samuel says, he's the one. God's seen his heart. He's a man after God's own heart. That's what God looks at. So when we look at Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we need to not get trapped by the outside things that Jesus is saying. What we need to look at is the inside things that Jesus is saying where the outward stuff becomes easy. What Jesus calls the easy yoke. Right? He says, take my yoke upon you for it is easy, it's well-fitting, my burden is light. So let's get real clear. I know you're very excited about this. I'm going to cover the entire Sermon on the Mount in one sermon. You will be home before the afternoon. So what this sermon is not, it's not advice, friends. It's just not. You can't read it like that. It will make no sense to you. If you read 5, 6, and 7 as as Jesus' advice to a hurting world, game over. You can't do it. Because it's not about your strength and it's not advice. It's just not. You can't do it without Jesus. He has to live inside you for any of this to become possible. Secondly, it's not a list of general moral principles. It's not how to be a good person. It's much bigger than that. And so if you're frustrated, you think, oh, well, that's not possible in this life. You're right, it's not. But it is possible when you live in both worlds. When you allow Jesus to guide and bring heaven to earth and in the next. And it's certainly not a list of things we should do. And this is where we get it wrong because we start learning this stuff, many of us, in Sunday school when we're little. And we think all of a sudden that we somehow have to become meek, which is not what Jesus is saying. Or we think we can't get divorced, which is not what Jesus is saying. Or we think that we have to allow ourselves to get beaten up in an abusive relationship. And that is absolutely not what Jesus is saying. 
And so it's not a thing that we should do. It's a vision of how to become like our master, Jesus, when he lives within us. So as Dallas would say it again, he says the gospel, read this with me. The gospel is less about how to get into the kingdom of heaven after you die and more about how to live in the kingdom of heaven before you die. That's what this is about, about how we can really live. So Jesus' teaching is then not about all that other stuff. It is about becoming like him from the inside out, not the outside in, because it just won't work. None of us have that kind of power. So, we'll start at Matthew 5. That's where Jesus begins. And I would remind you that Jesus is doing show and tell. He's gathered thousands of people around him, either on the mount or the plain, however you picture it. And he has just finished healing all these people. The blind now see, the deaf now hear, the lame now walk. Those who could not speak now speak. And so they're ready. They're like, we don't know who this guy is, but he's got kinds of power that we've never seen before. We think he might be God himself. We think he might be the Messiah, the Christ, the one we've been waiting for, the one who will make everything different. And they were right. And so Jesus begins to teach them things they had never heard before. It was different than the other rabbis. It was different from the law. And he started to say these blessings, these beatitudes. That's what blessing means. And and that's where this is proclaiming God's favor, God's pleasure, God's will to all who aspire to live under his rule. Now, this was amazing because most people who were in poverty, most people who were under Roman rule, they could not imagine that they were blessed. Maybe you've been in that spot in your life. Somebody says, oh, you're blessed. And you're like, yeah, right. I mean, they, they, they had no idea that they were blessed. Now, the problem with this is from 2,000 years ago when this was a historic, mind-blowing, amazing teaching, today often it's been reduced down to God favors you no matter what you do. That is and isn't true. Jesus says, I want you on my team. I want you to work with me to bring the kingdom here. And if you do that, if you live with me, then all kinds of things are possible. They're not possible without me. Now, God's always for you. God's always for you. Don't mishear me. God's always for you. God's always good. His character is always good. But it does make a difference about your own will and your own character. Because if you want to fight God, you can. You'll lose. But you can fight God if you want to. You can turn away from God if you want to. And God's not mad at you. He's not upset with you. But there are certain things that you simply cannot know in this life without Jesus. And that's just fact, friends. And the scriptures are full of it. It says, you know, you cannot know this, you cannot have this life unless you know Jesus. It's very clear about that. So, so it's not that there's this sort of this universal blessing that's just hanging out there. No, when you say yes to Jesus, all sorts of things become possible for you. That's not true if you don't. It's just different. And those of you who have had one life with Jesus before and a life after know the difference that I'm talking about. There really is a difference in terms of uh, peace that passes all understanding to guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus and power to say yes to the things that Christ would have you say yes to. So God's promises of comfort and strength, real strength to all who will work with him in this life. It's not a get out of hell free card. It's not, that's not, he, he doesn't talk about that at all anywhere in the entire Bible. So, so in the Beatitudes and the Blessings, in, in Matthew 5, he says, Blessed, the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, they will be strengthened, they will be lifted up. And for those of you who have major loss in your life, you know this is true. 
that Christ has carried you through things that you did not think you would make it through. It's real strength there. That's what he says. It's not game over when the worst happens to you in this life. Because the worst thing in this life is not the last thing, and that's why the cross is front and center for us. It reminds us that the worst thing the world can do is not the last thing with Christ. Because you will live forever. And then Jesus goes on. And he says, and by the way, if you're merciful, you too will receive mercy. Because in that day and in this, when you show mercy to somebody, there are friends around you who are going to call you a chump. Right? Isn't that true? Somebody does something wrong to you and you forgive them. Like, oh, you are a fool. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. No, no. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. If you show mercy, God will show mercy to you. It's a new way of living. I love the way St. John of the Cross uh, writes. And friends, the older I get, the more I know that I'm, I'm less likely to listen to any voice that is less than about 500 years old. I find that people 100 years and younger don't know much. But if what you say is true and it stands the test of two, three, four, five hundred years, a thousand years, you might want to pay attention. Seriously. Uh, read the Desert Fathers. Read the Church Fathers. Read classic literature. Read Aristotle. I mean, really. I mean, read Plato. Read, read folks that people have been reading for thousands of years and, and maybe haven't tweeted yet. I mean, Really. St. John of the Cross says this, In the twilight of life, God will not judge us on our earthly possession and human success, but rather on how much we have, say it with me, loved. That's the measure of our hearts. That's what Jesus is talking about. And so he turns the, the normal teaching on its head. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Everybody knew that. But here's what we have to hear. We, you can't just pull this teaching, uh, this, this one thing out of this huge teaching. You see, eye for an eye controlled retaliation. That is true. That's what it was meant to do in a primitive society. But it did not justify it. And Jesus does not condone it. He actually says the opposite of that. The last thing Jesus wants uh, is one-eyed, one-handed people. Right? There's no glory in that. Jesus blesses everyone. It's his character. It's who he is. He's not an eye for an eye God. He says, I've come to transform that so, that so that we don't need that primitive retaliation piece any longer. And again, we'll go back to the 300s this time. Uh, St. Ambrose of Milan says this, no one heals himself by wounding another. And man, does our world need to hear that. This weekend in Midland and Odessa, I wonder if the man who shot 21 people and killed five knows that there's no way to get better by hurting and wounding and killing others. This is a message that the world desperately needs, friends. I hope it resides in you and that you carry it forward to all the world for the very transformation of the world, that heaven would come and murder and tragedy and chaos would end. But it starts with this kind of wisdom, friends. Jesus moves on into Matthew 6, and he calls for a sincere response to God. A real heart change that identifies oneself with God's purposes. That yes, I'm on your team. God, I'm with you. I'm doing your will. It might be hard. It might be difficult. But I am for you. I'm living for an audience of one. You see, our life is to be lived to God and not for the applause of others. Now, you can live for the applause of others. And there's a real reward for that. Performers do it all the time. Artists and singers and rock stars and painters. and I mean, you can live for the applause of others. And, and there's a real reward to that. But it doesn't compare 
with the love and care of God when you live for him. So Jesus reminds us, he says, when you pray, right? Not, not like other people, but when you, us, he says, don't be like hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue street corners so that they may be seen by others. That's the key part. So don't live that you can be seen by others. He says, truly, they've received the reward and they have. He says, but whenever you pray, when you do it, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. There's nothing super holy about a closet, but God's there. So wherever you go, wherever you need to be, God sees you, God knows you, God's ready to meet you there. You don't have to worry about what others think. And so he teaches us how to pray then. And and the first thing that we're to remember is that God is holy, God is powerful, and God is good. Always. There's never a moment in the infinity of God where God is not holy and powerful and good and working for your good. That's what the first part of the Lord's Prayer is about. The second part, Jesus is really clear. Friends, because you have a good God, ask for what you need. Ask him. Don't you think about this this morning. What is it that you really need today? What is it that you need before you go back to work? What do you need? Ask him. Ask him. And then know this truth. That we cannot ask for ourselves what we deny to others. This is the tagline the so important tagline at the end of the Lord's Prayer, right? This is what Jesus says. We, we can't ask for things for ourselves that we won't give to others. It, it won't work. It, it just won't work. We can't receive it. We don't know what to do with it. And God won't give it to us if we won't give it to others. So if you're asking for something, if you're asking for a raise, if you're asking for a promotion for your own self, and you're not going to share with anybody else, and you're going to do anything with it other than use it on your own selfish wants and desires, you're not getting it. That's what Jesus is saying. You you can't ask for yourself something that you deny for another. Then this is particularly true with forgiveness. So Jesus says, if you forgive others their trespasses, for real friends, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If, you notice, what's the key word there? If. I mean, really, friends, we have to pay attention to that. That's how it works. So what Jesus is saying is when we live first for God and the purposes of God, when we're on his team and we say, yes, we're going to live for you, then how much everything, say everything with me, everything we need will be provided for us. So don't worry. Really, you don't have to worry. If God is first in your life, everything else will fall into place. That's not true in reverse. So Jesus says it like this, strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. All the things that we worry about, what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, what we're going to drive, how we're going to get this done, what we're going to have for retirement, all of it, Jesus says, it's going to be fine if you put me first, because you are a never-ending spiritual being, and there's nothing you can do about it. And this time on earth is a blip. Now, it's a very important blip to us. It is, but just a blip. You're going to live a lot longer after the blip than before. For real. You will. So Jesus finishes up in Matthew 7. And here's the thing about judgment. You know, you hear this thing about righteous anger. All anger thinks itself righteous at the time. Isn't that true? I mean, if you ever get a good mad on, you got lots of good reasons. By the time you get to be 100, I bet those reasons aren't so good. 
right? You think about the things you were so mad at your parents about when you were five. You didn't get the toy. You had to go to bed. You had to eat some food. Had to take medicine. Had to get shots. Whatever it is, terrible parenting. So here's what we learn. That God alone, God alone is the safe choice to judge a broken world. Isn't that true? And think about what would happen if you were God for a day. When you can watch Bruce Almighty, it doesn't go so well for Bruce. It's an old movie, but uh, I recommend it to you. Jesus says this, do not judge, friends. It's not in our power. It's not in our mind. We're not smart enough to do that or good enough. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment that you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? This was hilarious, friends. People are like, wow, yeah, you couldn't do that. No, you can't. Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You can't. Jesus says, you know, you're play acting. You're a hypocrite. No, it doesn't work that way. First, you have to take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. One of the stories that has informed me early in my life uh, are the stories around Mother Teresa. I, I just think it's terrible that anybody would take shots at Mother Teresa after what, how she lived her life. Uh, but there's a story um, that a, a television reporter was trying to do gotcha with Mother Teresa. That is a bad idea. Um, but he was, he was sort of hounding her, and, and he said, you know, you know, some people are saying this about you, and some other people are saying this about you, and you know, how you should spend the money differently in Calcutta and blah, blah, blah. And, she said, and he said, well, what do you have to say to that? And this tiny little woman, this little nun in India, looked up at him and she put her hand by his face and she said, Oh, son, if they knew me, if they really knew me, they could say much worse. <laughs> now, that's a woman who knows the Lord. She's not worried about what the world thinks. She's not judging. She's not allowing herself to be judged. She knows her standing in the world. How beautiful would it be if we all could be there? Oh, son, if they really knew me, they could say much worse. Friends, God is willing to give us everything we need and more. We don't have to worry about what other people think or what other people are doing. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Search and find, knock, the door will be thrown open for you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who searches, finds. Everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, will give a stone? No. Or if the child asks for fish, will give a snake? No, of course not. If you then who are evil, right, you're not God, you're not perfectly good. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your father who is good, who is powerful, is loving, is merciful, will give good things to those who ask him. Now, this is super important, friends. And I hope you get this today. That the Christian life is not not doing anything wrong. As a matter of fact, you might argue that if you're not doing anything wrong, you're not trying to live for Christ. I mean, really. I love the way the kindergartner teachers say it. They say, if you can't make a mistake, you can't make what? Anything. You don't know that? Really, say it with me. If you can't make a mistake, you can't make anything. And any of you all who have ever tried to write a dissertation know what I'm talking about. The hard thing's getting started, right? The Christian life is courageously taking initiative to do God's will in the world. 
It's not about not doing stuff wrong. Now, don't go do stuff wrong, right? That's not the point. But, friends, we're going to make mistakes. Uh, yesterday, Chantel and I saw Peanut Butter Falcon. Um, and I don't know how you may feel about that or not feel about that, but I recommend it to you as the kingdom of life. The people in that movie make a lot of mistakes. But I think they're trying to live the life that God has for them in their own brokenness. So here's a simple rule of thumb, friends. A guide for behavior. This is from the message in Matthew seven twelve. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you and then grab the initiative and do it for them. See, everybody knew the law that said don't do bad stuff to people because you wouldn't want that done to you. They knew that. What they'd never heard before was a teacher who said, you know what, we can be better than that. Why don't you just dream up some of the best scenarios that could ever happen in your life and grab the initiative and do it for somebody else who needs to be blessed today? Right? And then the people would think naturally, well, then how do we know what to do? How do we know who to follow? And Jesus says, look at their actions. Look at the fruit. He says, don't be impressed with charisma. No. Look for character. Don't, don't be fooled by the sweet talkers and, and the get-rich-quick schemes. Don't fall for that stuff. Look at the fruit. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. Sure they, sure, they do. The way to life to God is vigorous and requires total attention. Now, that needs to get our attention. You can't play at this stuff, friends. It takes the very best of who we are. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. So what is required then is serious obedience, friends. Really. And it's the best way to live. There is a real cost to non-discipleship. There is. And, and, you know, fortunately, I'm shielded from a lot of it because of what I do, but I know you're not. It doesn't take long for you to see the terrible tragedies of hate and unforgiveness and drunkenness and murder and eating ourselves to death to see the truth of Jesus' alternative vision for a broken world. All you have to do is live a few hours outside of this place and see how broken our world is. Isn't that true? It's broken, friends. And yes, the way of Jesus can be hard, but it's much better much better than the brokenness of the world. The way of Jesus is love and life and forgiveness and supernatural strength that you cannot have without him. And yes, the way is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it, but it's life, and this life and the next. And what's required is serious obedience to the very transformation of our soul that lives forever. So Jesus concludes the sermon like this. He says, knowing the correct password, saying, master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What's required is serious obedience, doing what my father wills. I can see it now at the final judgment. Thousands, thousands strutting up to me and saying, master, we preached the message. We bashed the demons and God-sponsored projects had everyone talking. This is about what other people thought about their religion. And Jesus says, you know what I'm going to say about that? You missed it. You missed the boat. All you did was use me. Woo. Now, as a preacher, that is a, that is a hard line, right? Have you, ever, have you ever found yourself trying to use Jesus? Come on now. I mean, that, that's a real temptation for all of us. Instead of serving him, we want to use him. We want to be on the throne and have Jesus serve us. That's real life. It doesn't work that way. He says, all you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out. You're out because it's about our hearts. It's always about our hearts, friends. It's about our hearts. And then Jesus says this, these, these are words to build a life on. Now, what are these words that Jesus is referring to? 
All of it. Matthew 5, all of Matthew 5, all of Matthew 6, all of Matthew 7. These are words to build a life on, all of it. He says, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Homeowner improvements to your standard living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. Will you say that with me? Words to build a life on. You can spend the rest of your life working on Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit. But nothing moved that house because it was fixed on the rock. Now, there's a lot in there. And I just hit some highlights. I want you to know what I'm trying to do. And I invite you to try it with me. Uh, Again, I started this in 2009, so I've been at this a decade. I'm I'm 10 years in. And uh, at least according to Sherry Cathcart, uh, she told me about a month after I got back from 2009 that I was a different person. She was like, what happened to you, Pastor Mark? You used to be this way. Now you're that way. I don't know that it was an improvement, but she was just noticing. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think positive there, Sherry. Okay? So this is my rule of life. It was offered to me up by Dallas Willard in our class, and this is what we came away with. If I want to live to change my heart, then these are the things I work on every day. And, and you might want to try one of them yourself. The first is this. No pushing. If God is truly holy and God is truly powerful, then I don't need to push my way around. My life is in his hands. And what happens to me is his will as I work with him. I don't have to push anybody. I don't have to push myself. I don't have to push my kids. I don't have to push their teachers. I don't have to push that lady in the carpool line in front of me. I don't have to push. I don't have to push because God is in control and he loves me and he loves you. And his yoke is easy and his burden's light. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to pretend that I'm better than I am. I don't have to pretend that I'm worse than I am to fit in with somebody. I don't have to pretend that I'm smarter than I am or dumber than I am. I don't have to pretend that I have more money or less money than I do. I don't have to pretend that my life is perfect or that it's broken. I don't have to pretend. And you don't have to pretend. Because God knows the book on you because he looks at your heart. So no more pretending. Be your sincere, authentic self. That's what Jesus asked for. And then he says, no presuming. Now that's really the judgment piece, friends. All I'm doing is going through the Sermon on the Mount and how I'm trying to live it out. Don't presume that you know what's going on in somebody else's life. Don't presume that you know what's best for somebody else. You have no idea what's going on in people's lives. Every single person I've ever met has a broken heart. About something. Sometime. So we don't presume that, I don't presume when you come talk to me that I know what's best for you. I, I might offer up some things that have worked for me and they might work for you, but they might not work for you. you. You may have had a completely different life than I've had. What works for me may not work for you at all. But I don't presume to know that. And I'd love it if you don't presume that you know that on my behalf. We don't push, we don't pretend, we don't presume. And then finally, and this is the hardest one of all, when I came to class in 09, Dallas said this, the goal of this class is for you to never hurry or worry again. Now that would be a different kind of life, wouldn't it? If you never hurried again, if you never worried again. Now that doesn't mean that you're not going to need to move quickly to the storm shelter when the tornado's coming. But you don't have to do it in anxiety. You don't have to do it in fear because the Lord is with you. God's got you. This is how I'm trying to do it. I invite you to try it with me. 
And when Jesus concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause. Oh, I was, thank you, Debbie. Thank you. I had to wait a little too long for that. That was very close to pushing, by the way. They had never heard a teaching like this. It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying, all of it. He was true. He was congruent. Quite a contrast to the religion teachers that they'd heard so far. This was the best teaching they had ever heard. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this teaching. We thank you that you would choose to leave heaven itself to come and soul yourself with us. That you would take on sin and brokenness and shame. That you would allow yourself to be stripped naked in front of thousands of people on a hill. That even though you had all power to wipe out every person on the planet, you would allow them to hit you and spit on you and to curse you and to kill you. Because your heart was so tied to the Father that you trusted him to raise you to life. And we pray that you'd place that kind of trust in us, that we would trust you to raise us to new life today and always. In Jesus' mighty name that taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.